Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value is why your company exists. That is to create more value for your clients than it costs you to deliver. And that means understanding your customer, their customer's world, having great conversations with your customer as a trusted expert. Today, I am thrilled. Uh, Tina Greenbaum is here. Uh, Tina, longtime uh, practitioner, uh, psychological health professional, TED speaker, uh, thought leader, and all around good egg. Tina, welcome. Thank you, Mark. I love that introduction. <laughs> um, so Tina's specialty is one that is actually core to being able to sell value. And that is mastery under pressure. And what I've noticed so many times in thousands and tens of thousands of sales opportunity coaching sessions is that salespeople start barfing out what they know. And it's not because they don't care about the customer's world. It's because their brain locks down a little bit. It's hard for them to listen and to understand, to put themselves in that empathetic mode. And so that tunnel vision, the only thing they can do is barf out what they know, right? Fill the space with things I know rather than fill the space with the customer telling you what their world is like. Yes, absolutely. And so mastery under pressure is core to being that empathetic, trusted expert, consultative seller. Tell us about it, Christina. Wow, it's just a really kind of great way to think about what happens, I always say, between you and you. And when we can start to master what happens internally and be able to have a quiet body so that the mind can think very clearly that's where the mastering under pressure actually happens. So when we're under pressure, and I think about all the sales things that I've learned and the, the, the scripts and, you know, and, and, and filling in that, you know, when they say this, then I say that, and then what are your objections? And then I say that, and um, we're clearly not listening and we're not connected. So in order to be empathic, we have to be able to put ourselves in another person's point of view. But I like to think of everything, I'm, I'm a very kinesthetic person. So it's like, I have to feel you. I'm not gonna pick up, I don't wanna pick up all your negative energy and all that kind of stuff, but I have to feel what you're feeling so that I can then project how I can best be helpful to you. So the couple things that are just critical to this. So we each have, I used to call it a buffer. Now it's called clinically a window of tolerance. So here is what your nervous system can tolerate, the level of stress it can tolerate. And so as long as we're in my little window, I'm good. I can think, I can talk to you comfortably. But as soon as I'm challenged, and maybe you ask me something that I can't answer, or I, or I don't have it really quite at, this, you know, at my fingertips, I get triggered inside. And then now I'm past my nervous system's capacity to handle the stress quite as comfortably. And so when that happens, the stress response happens. And then we start to, um, and the, the adrenaline starts to go and then our brain goes. And then we can't think really clearly. Yeah, I, I learned this and tell me I, you know if I've got it right, is that part of the function of adrenaline for tens of thousands of years 
is to shut down the higher order reasoning centers in your brain because the the ancestors on the savanna who tried to reason with the cave bear never passed their genes on only the ones that figured out they have got to either run or fight the bear that's right but i can't i can't reason with the bear and so that higher order reasoning adrenaline is there to shut that down and so when you're in a sales situation and you can kind of feel that tunnel vision closing in mm-hmm. that's the adrenaline and you know when you get in an argument and you think of the right thing to say after the argument is over day, right <laughs> that's because the adrenaline has cleared out of your brain and that thought that was there all along is now allowed to um permeate your your consciousness but before that thought was proactively shut down that's why it, the the fact that you couldn't think about you know say come up with that smart aleck remark that's your body and your brain working the way it was designed that's exactly right so in this day and age we have to learn how to counter that because what the when we can when this operation can work really well and get to this part of the brain the executive functioning part of the brain the brain gives us options it doesn't tell us what to do it gives us choices and so if the conversation's going this way and I'm connected to what's happening. Let's just say that you and I are having this conversation. I'm offering you something. And then you go, yeah, but as soon as I hear that, I already know that you're putting up resistance to what I'm saying. Now, I could try to override you. Yeah, but blah, 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 you know, not going to work. I have to be able to kind of be that sensitive and that tuned into my own system that I can see what I'm doing is not working. It's my responsibility. You know, we, we say, oh, they were so resistant. No, they were just doing them. It's like, I had a teacher one time, he said, you just have to be a better clinician. You know, no. you have to be creative and you have to come around from another way. And so being sensitive to the person who's in front of you rather than the script is how good sales really happen. Yeah, at, at this company, we talked about the importance of making a call plan. And that's not a script. Mm-hmm. That's uh, here's how I would like the call to progress. We're going to talk about this, then we'll progress here. Then we'll start warming the person up and asking more and more uh, personal, um, perhaps evocative or, th- or expository questions. But this is where I would like the, the meeting to end up with the customer deciding they'll do something. And many's the time where you make that plan and the customer starts off and immediately your skeleton for the plan disappears, right? It, it, you might as well just crumple up your plan and throw it on the ground right in front of the customer. But I said, if you have that plan and this where you want the call to end up and what commitment you wanna ask the customer to make at the end of the meeting, if you have that in a special part, throw away your, 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 the outline and look at that end and say, is there another way to get to this end? I'll still have a successful meeting. I'll learn something that I didn't know before. Uh, but now I have to, I have to get to that. That's the end that I want to get to. How do I get to that? 
what now that I know something even better is that is that still the right end? But if you anchor yourself on where do I want this conversation to go? Do, I used to say that lowers your tension, your, your, your stress level, because now you can start thinking about options and how you're going to get there rather than um, thinking in a panic. Now, what do I do? Exactly. Is, is that valid? I think it's, I mean, anything that's well rehearsed, practice makes progress. It doesn't make perfect. It makes, you know, and after you've had enough sales conversations, you know that it's going to go this way or this way or this way or this way. They're either going to give you this objection about time, or they're going to give you this objection about money, or they're going to give you some other something. And your job is still the same, right? It's just, again, how creative can you be? And, and how practiced can you be to know that time and money are like the biggest objections of every sales conversation ever? Right. Right. Um, I was just talking- Time, money, and risk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And risk. Right. So I was just talking to somebody um, and we were talking about she's in an organization and they don't have a lot of money and they want everybody to discount their services in the, in the betterment of this organization. Well, it's a very low, <clears throat> excuse me, mind growth kind of way to think about, you know, it's not creative. And just keep lowering our prices, keep lowering our prices. That's not gonna. So it's, it's having, being around people like you and being around people that, that are growth oriented, that you begin to start to incorporate a whole other way of being and a whole other way of thinking. Yeah, you're, you, you got the hackles up on the back of my neck when you talked about discounting. Because um, that's, that's, that is the opposite of what, I mean, that is the core of what I do. The opposite of that is discounting. Exactly, exactly right? <laughs> and so, uh, man, I got stressful just listening. <laughs> listening, to, listening when it wasn't even my problem or my situation. Yeah. I need to, they, they need to talk to me. Um, so if you want to, you know, this, this year I'm kind of on a tear and I've kind of narrowed my focus in my consulting to what I call the trusted advisor sale. We have been told by the sales industrial complex and all the experts in industry that, uh, in business to business selling the customer self-informs to way more than half of their buying process before they call the first salesperson. And the, that's, a, that's false. It's true because that's the average, but 21% of people, of, of B2B customers, call on a, get a salesperson in while they're still trying to figure out their own situation. That's like before they're even trying to generate options. They're just trying to understand what's going on here. 21% of the time. And those people need a trusted expert consultant to help them tell them what's going on, not to be one of the solutions, not to skip ahead and propose solutions, but to actually help that customer walk through and understand what they what it is they don't understand. Why is it that they that this is so uncertain, so new, so risky to them, and help walk, guide them through? Man, you have to be the ultimate in empathetic, there for your customer. And so 
that end of the sales spectrum, as opposed to the other end, which is very transactional, mm -hmm. uh, that, that trusted advisor end needs mastery and yes, needs exactly. that, that mindset of I'm here for you, not the other way around. That's right. So it all comes back, Mark, every time you, know, you and I have these conversations and we talk about it with our colleagues, it's what makes a great leader. You know, if you're going to be a great leader as a sales person, um, it requires a lot of personal growth, self-growth, self-knowledge, and then knowledge about your industry, knowledge about, you know, your particular, you know, place where you're focused. But I have a belief that, um, again, it's kind of why I do what I do, that you cannot reach your greatest potential without knowing yourself deeply. Yeah. I, I love the companionship between what you teach and what I teach. I have, you know, a kind of a mechanical, here's 12 things you have to go out and learn about your customer. You have to stalk them and go out and get on their website, uh, do spy on them and learn these 12 things. Because right. if you learn these 12 things, you'll have a much better idea of who they are, how they make decisions and what their culture is. But that's kind of mechanical knowledge, front of brain, but you need that heart-centered, what are you gonna do with all that knowledge and how are you gonna really cause that raw knowledge to turn into information and value for your customer? Right. So um, I have a friend who's a speaker, speaker coach, and we talk about, we've done workshops together where I do the inner game and she does the outer game. And that's kind of what you and I are talking about. Um, the way that I can help people is to be able to be as authentic and real. And we call it heart-centered, but that kind of gets a woo-woo kind of little thing, but it, it truly is. And heart-centered means my heart connects to yours. You can feel me, I can feel you. You know, when I first started as a, as a psychotherapist, I used to say to my clients, it's like, I hear you, but I don't feel you. And if I don't feel you, you're not going to change, right? So it's, and, and, and again, one of my favorite stories <laughs> about this is I had a, a client one time who was highly anxious. He was really, really, really smart, but he would walk in and he was really, really anxious. And he would have, he had a tape recorder and he would put it down on my desk and he would say, can I tape the, you know, our sessions? Of course you can tape, they're your sessions, right? So one day he comes in and he takes this tape recorder and he slams it down on my desk and he says something kind of like, what the, are you doing to me? I walk in here really nervous and I walk out really calm and I can't find it on this tape. <laughs> what do you do to me? You know? And I said, I just work on myself. Because as we work on ourselves and we become more aware, we create a bigger space for somebody to be who they are does that kind of make sense absolutely so it's really your presence that makes somebody want to talk to you yeah and i i write about this over and over and i would love to get your your sense of it but i say you know it the, the reason customers buy is because of your value. Value is the outcomes, the, the desirability of the outcomes that they're buying when they do business with you. 
So it's all about the customer's outcome and their, and you have to understand their world, their situation, and turn whatever it is you're selling into something that fits their world. Exactly. And I say this over and over again, it's you know a trite soundbite, but it's it makes people think value only exists in your customer's mind. Okay. So everything above the top line on your on your revenue line is outside of your company. Nobody in your company can give orders and change any of that because it's in the customer's mind. And to get into the customer's mind, now you have to be, you have to put yourself in their world. You're more successful when you take ownership of what's going on in their world and how to help them with their problems. Right, so that brings to mind some listening skills. Listening and um, open-ended question. You know, people kind of laugh and talk about therapists and, um, you know, I, I coach, I'm a therapist, all of that. But basically in my training are, is a way of thinking and a way of opening it up so somebody else can talk and share. What I have to say is only in response to them. I'm just a mirror. This is what I hear you saying. You know, are we on the same page? You know, I, I'm wondering, I just had this thought, is it true for you? And so I have a rule for myself and, I, and it's a never really as best as I possibly can do it. I never lose the connection of the person that I'm listening and talking with. So let's just say my phone might flash and I might get distracted and I miss what you've just said. I'm gonna come back and say, could you repeat that? Because I, I just missed it or I, you know, I, I heard a crash from outside or, or something. I spoke. So, I was thinking, I was thinking about what I wanted to say, say next. Oh, always that way. Right. And it's okay to say that. Yeah. I just kind of lost you for a second. Could we just kind of come back? And so the goal is to always be in the same wavelength as the person that you're talking to. And just that. You know, for people who are not really practiced at it, who are just kind of really starting to explore their own listening, you know, abilities, it will take you tenfold, you know, just way, way, way ahead of the next person who hasn't done this work. Yeah. Tina, let me ask you a question. If you get good at that, mm -hmm. at simply connecting with the other person and what's going on with them, and simply connecting and listening and letting it absorb, is that actually a way to reduce the stress? Because all you are is sponge now. You're not problem solver. Does it, is it, am I, am I getting it? You are getting it. And when I first started doing this work, I used to get terrible headaches because I was thinking my way through a session. I was thinking like, what is the next thing I'm gonna say? What's the next, we call it interventions. What's the next intervention I'm gonna make and, and, and so on. And I had a, a wonderful, fabulous spiritual teacher and he said to me, no think, no think. Like, what, is, what does that mean? So by being present, when you and I are just talking, okay, I'm listening to you and you're asking me a question. I'm not thinking about what, I'm kind of listening to me kind of a, like what's coming up in response to you. So I learned to trust this 
bigger voice is what I call it, the bigger part of me that knows things that my small little mind doesn't know. And sometimes somebody will ask me a difficult question and I'll just kind of like, I'll go like that and I'll just kind of, uh, I'll ponder and I'll wait for the answer. If that makes sense. The answers, many answers are given to me. You know, people say to me, how do you know that? It's like, I don't know how I know it. it, it it's because I've learned to trust this part of me at the same time becoming knowledgeable about my subject matter. So you could have great intuition and be really, really present for somebody, but if you don't really understand sales and what your goal is and what you're trying to do, you're only gonna be half-baked. Yeah. Right, so it's this combination of knowledge and competency. Yeah, I, uh, I, I should go back and look at it, but I, I developed, and actually the company I was with had uh, the preliminary version and I put more detail on it. They said there's three basic aspects to a great B2B salesperson. One is just selling acumen, knowing how to sell. Mm -hmm. Two is understanding your capabilities, your product, your service, mm -hmm. uh, really understanding. And the third one is understanding your customer customer acumen and business acumen mm -hmm. the ability to and it it's i yeah. hate you know we in the in the 80s and 90s we overused the metaphor of the three-legged stool so i've i've got emotional scars about the overuse <laughs> of the three-legged stool but that's what it is it's right it is the stool falls down without any one of those three legs that's right that's right that's absolutely right and i think the way i kind of think of the three-legged stool is as a business person, you have your knowledge, you have your business strategy, those two legs, but you also have the mental side. And the mental side is the piece that people don't train in. Yeah. For an Olympic level athlete, you wanted to compete at that level, you would no sooner go out there and train than you know, you would never put yourself in a situation without really understanding this mind body. How do I respond? How do I react? You know, what happens when I get frustrated? Where do I put my mind? How do I think? Um, you know, and these tools not only are fabulous for sales, they're, they're for life. You know, every situation that you get into has one of these tools that you can use. Right, so in the mastery under pressure that I teach, it's focus. So we're talking about focus, focusing on that person, focusing on the conversation, being laser focused, relaxation, learning how to quiet down the body so the mind can be clear. Your thinking, I call it productive thinking. Do my thoughts produce something useful for me as opposed to positive thinking? Oh, this is gonna go great. This is, I'm wonderful, I'm the best, this is, you know. No, it's productive thinking. Do my thoughts produce something useful? How to visualize. Again, you talked about that, you know, if I, before I meet with somebody, what do I want to create? And you go really through the scenario in your own mind so that if this happens, I can go here. If that happens, I can go there. If that happens, I can go there. And then you have that level of confidence. And then the last thing is dealing with fear. How many people are so fear-based? I have to make the sale. I have to make those numbers. I have to do this. I have to do that. 
And then that completely takes you off the focus. Yeah. Um, I was going to steer the conversation from sales mastery under pressure for sales and mastery under pressure for life and for leadership. And that mastery of self, that mastery of fear. And sure, in sales, there's fear of not making your number and fear of not making the sale. But we all have fears everywhere in the organization and in life. So what you do isn't, isn't just mastery under pressure for sellers. No, no, no. Now, it, that's, it's, it's, a cool, it's a cool manifestation or application of a general life skill. And uh, as one of my mentors, uh, Bob Miller said, is I don't want you to learn this stuff as a sales tool. This is a life tool. And I want you, you know, he actually gave an assignment. Tell me how you're going to use this sales training in your conversations with your wife, your kids, your friends, and your people at your church or synagogue. Right. And um that helps you actually become a better seller because now you're uh, practicing it, but it makes you a better person all over your life. And so um, you've got a TED talk coming. I do. Um, I'm so thrilled for you. I can't wait to, to see the recordings of that and, and hear how it went. But you're in the leadership space, not the sales right. mindset space. Tell us a, a little bit more about the bigger picture, Tina. Well, so when I think about leadership, somebody asked me one time, I was in a conference with a bunch of other people doing kind of what I do. And they said, how old were you when you started to help people? And we kind of all went, you know, maybe this big. <laughs> it, so some people have a natural propensity towards, when I say think of leadership, I think of like great leaders see things before other people see them. They just kind of know, well, you're kind of going to go over there and then this is going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. They see way down the line. And so again, there are natural leaders and then there are, there are people who can learn to improve their leadership skills because they get out of their own way. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be able to envision and foresee the, the consequences of your future, but it's quite another thing to gather your team around you and march around the hazard or to march toward a goal. That's right. And I think that mastery under pressure, and I used to have a boss that was great. We actually gave him, uh, we, we made a, a makeshift pair of chain mail boxer shorts. Mm -hmm for him because he kept on getting, we knew he was getting grief from corporate and from his vice president. But when he talked to us, none of that came through. Right. He absorbed it, right? So, so we got him chain mail underpants, <laughs> right? Cause he was getting his ass chewed all the time um, and taking it. Yes. But making the team more effective so he, he took he took the legitimate content out of that chewing uh, and turned it into positive guidance. That's right. And you have to do that by mastering pressure, right? We've all heard the old expression, 
you know what rolls downhill in an organization. Exactly. And that's what happens when people don't. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. That would make a really cool chapter, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah. Could, right? I mean, we talk so much, you know, we, you know, in, in companies and in businesses, how many people, I think it's 65% of employees leave their managers, they don't leave their company, you know, and then the same similar kind of percentage would rather have a new manager than a pay raise. So, <laughs> I'm laughing because I've had that manager multiple it. times. Right, multiple, multiple, multiple times. And so in training managers, uh, yeah, it, I mean, there's a ton, ton of things that they need to learn, but being a good manager is being a good coach. It's being a good people person. It's really learning how to gather people, how, how to build trust so that they will follow you. Yeah. I, um, I read this really great book on sales coaching. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the coaching cadence that you have to have. And there's four, you know, he had four pillars of what you talk about during a one-on-one. And one of them, um, you have to do this at least once a month, I think he said, but talk to them about their life and career goals and how this job is helping them get to their goals. Or not. Right? Be- or not. Or not. And if not, what are we going to do about it? And when I talk to other coaches about how often that incorporates it yourself, well, it's during the annual review, maybe. And if your job as a leader is to elicit discretionary effort, elicit people going beyond the minimum for the good of the team and themselves, um, you've got to make them feel like that work is going somewhere. It's going into something. It's going to be rewarded or recognized, or, you know, as their manager, what they're trying to do by showing great results on a project that's over. Yeah, there, were, there was a company that I did some work with. <clears throat> I think they had seven variables that a leader needed to have, or a company needed to have in order for their employees to feel valued and that they wanted to stay. I don't really remember, you know, every, everyone on the top of my head, I can pick it up real quickly, but um, culture is one sense of purpose, you know, is another one um, kind of a way of giving, of giving and receiving feedback to even people who are above you, that there's a feeling of comfort that if you came to me, I wasn't going to chew your head off, that it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a scary thing. Your job was not going to be, so there's kind of an ease of communication. Um, and then there's this, uh, what they call it, the work, work balance, the work challenge balance. So within this is we all have a sweet spot. How many hours can I work? When, when I can be really, really on, you know, when do I need a break? That kind of stuff. Um, and then how much of my work is it, or my manager even knows me well enough to know what I'm good at, you know, how, how I excel. Um, and then, so then there's a boredom part of it. If, I, if I'm not being challenged, I'm being bored. I'm bored. If I'm being challenged too much, now I'm over my nervous system's capacity. Yeah. My performance is gonna, um, you know, fall. So it's really kind of looking at peak performance and the concept of flow. 
um, I can never pronounce his name, the guy who wrote the book Flow, Macaulay, who recently passed away. But um, so much of the stuff that I teach is really connected to how to get into a state of flow. And all these different pieces that I talk about, not only in my program, but your sleep, your nutrition, your exercise, your family support. Your, I mean, there's so many pieces that need to be in place in order for somebody to really excel so that they can be that person when the blank hits the fan, you yeah. know, that they can say, okay, we got to do this. We got to do that. You do this, you do that. We're good. Yep. Tina, uh, what a great conversation. I really thank you for spending the time investing it with us and sharing your expertise, your wisdom and your insights. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for good questions and great conversation. How can people, how can people get a hold of you and, and learn more about you and what you do? Well, they can email me at tina at masteryunderpressure.com. I also have a, a quiz that people can take. It's masteryunderpressure.net. So you can see where you are on the scale of the things that I mentioned. And um, my website, masteryunderpressure.com. Cool. And my book. Mastery Under Pressure. <laughs> Tina Greenbaum. Great. Well, and thanks again, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value is only in the other guy's head, which means that sales, marketing, business, and leadership is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Have a high value day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.